Hello, listeners. This is Yakez's Life Advice. We are Yakez, the most adorable married musical duo in the world. I'm Twitter. And I'm Poppy John. We've been through so much this past year medically, personally, spiritually. Coming out on the other side with new perspective and drastic life changes. We're here to share this with you. And we'd like for you to join us on this journey of transformation. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Yakez's Life Advice. We continue today to talk with exciting performance artist, dancer, activist, Awilda Rodriguez Lora. Part two of our episode with her talking about Puerto Rico, issues of statehood for Puerto Rico, uh, post-hurricane Irma and Maria, how uh, the culture and the communities there are still recovering from those natural disasters. Uh, We talked today also about the exciting long-term performance art project La Mujer Maravilla of Awilda's. At the end, uh, Awilda gives some beautiful self-care tips. Uh, How do we self-care amidst all of these exciting opportunities uh, that we have as doers and makers and creators in the world? And also at the very end of the episode, we give some links, ways that you can donate Uh, to the causes and to the communities that are still rebuilding in Puerto Rico. In the background here, we have Mirame Mami, the instrumental, our uh, feminist song written, (laughs) ironically, by Poppy John. The beat and the lyrics. Yeah. Yep. But again, as I always say, uh, Poppy John is... Uh, a mutt of uh, Scottish and uh, Scottish English, and also Ojibwe, the Native American, Chippewa, I believe, heritage. So there you go. There you are. This lovely intermixing and intermingling of cultures. Enjoy the episode, folks. I know one time there were polls, and I think even like symbolic votes. Uh, in Puerto Rico to become like the 51st state of the United States of America. And it was always like showing like the majority of people in Puerto Rico supported it. Now these polls and these votes came back as like, you know, there was a lot of corruption in them. Not everyone was voting. There was some voter suppression. Do you have any sense of like the general mood now? Do you think most Puerto Ricans still want to be part of America? Well, when that poll came out, when you look, I don't know exactly the numbers right now, but I did look at it because I was impressed. I was like, well, if the majority wants this to happen, let's make it happen. Yeah. But when you look at the numbers, there was really not, like if you were to look at the population of Puerto Rico and the number of people that voted, yes. And it, it well, if you look at the number, you notice there was a really small minority right. that voted and it looked like we all won, but it's just mm. out of the people that voted, that But it was a really minuscule number. But there are people that believe that statehood, it's what's going to help Puerto Rico. And there's people that believe that the way it is, which is Estado Libre Asociado, 
is what's going to help Puerto Rico. And there's people that believe that becoming a republic, an independent, yeah. autonomous country is going to help Puerto Rico. And I feel all three of them are navigating constantly. I, I'm, I hang out closely, and in my beliefs is to be a republic and be mm-hmm. independent and autonomous. But because I don't hang out a lot with people for statehood, so I will say, no, that's a minority. But I know that is a conversation we're all having. I think that with this that happened, because the party that, um, that the governor per- is part of is the pro-statehood party, the PNP. And that became having a whole big conversation about this topic, particularly what it means to be a statehood mm-hmm. or not. Just because the, the party itself went under the loop of being very corrupt. Mm. So now I think a lot of people, even that they were pro-statehood, they're looking at the party that defended that as a very corrupt party. So it's very complex in regards mm-hmm. to like wanting to be a statehood or not. I think that people still want it. It's who are their leaders for this to happen, right. which is right now is like, we're not sure because after this governor being a mess and then we know everybody. So the party itself is having a lot of struggle and such as the popular party, which is the one that is pro Commonwealth. Yeah, I guess it's just weird because um, I guess a lot of people too that probably support the statehood just see it as better than just being a territory where mm-hmm. where you're considered part of America but not really. Mm-hmm. So it's either either be a part or not be a part. Exactly. Not right now. It's like this weird limbo of. Yeah, but we have you know with we have we can go to the Olympics as a country mm-hmm. and we can go to the Miss Universe as a country. So there's things that, and we have our national language, ideally that is mm. Spanish, even though English is part of our language too. Um, so there's certain things that work for this Commonwealth or colony of right. Puerto Rico, this like Estado Libre Asociado, uh, which is um, free state by association, something like that. I, I don't think I'm doing the mm. right translation, but it's something. Uh-huh. And I, it, it's, uh, it's, it is this limbo place yeah. But uh, somehow people don't mind it, I feel. Like, even though there are people that using even language of decolonizing as a language for pro-statehood. Yeah. Like, if we are not a colony anymore, then become a state, and that's going to be much better. Um, and then there's uh, people that want the autonomy and the republic of the mm-hmm. country. I, you know, it's so complex because then we try to see examples like Hawaii or mm-hmm. other places and what happens when that shift happens and I don't think we are and I'm not going to talk to all Puerto Ricans but in my own perception is that we're not ready to let go of that national feeling of Mm. being able to go to the Olympics we love sports we love a basketball team we love our baseball team we like our representation in these Olympics or in the Miss Universe so there's something about our nationality that even people that are pro-statehood you can see them wearing their um, Puerto Rican flag so it's a very complex thing that it's not easy to pin out, and I think that's why every election it gets we we just switch back and forth. We just but it really never changes this the state that we're in. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of what kind of government we're going to have. A pro statehood, which is more you know they tend to be a little more Republican and conservative, and then the popular party tends to be more pro arts. So suddenly there's more funding for the arts. Like it's like. It just shifts every four years, which mm-hmm. makes it also t- also difficult for sustainable practices <laughs> in the mm. country. So mm-hmm. right now it's just a little past the two-year anniversary mm-hmm. of the hurricanes, uh, Maria and Irma. Mm-hmm. 
So how how's like the general feeling there now? Do, does it feel like that it's still recovering? Yeah, it's still it's exhausting. Mm. We cry sometimes without wanting to cry because <laughs> we are really tired. Because I think when once the what felt like the emergency moment, right, when we didn't have electricity, we didn't have water, and we just had to really find ways of sustaining ourselves. Gas was really difficult to find. And we're just, like, pretty much building community and, like, our neighbors would share food and here I will give you a ride. And so there was a sense of community. Once electricity comes up, once we have water, and I'm talking particularly with the San Juan area, which is where I live, because there's other parts of the country that was different experience. But once we got into that mojo of getting productive and work, it's like we're back to normal. And I'm using my fingers as to quoting what normal is, this Mm -hmm. normality. And it was like a high speed. Like what usually you like go back to like my routine. This was like I have to be 10 times more productive because I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if it's another hurricane is going to come or the government Mm. is not going to support me this time. And so it's like we're in this production mode of like really in this constant state of uncertainty, mm-hmm. which is makes you just keep on working. Mm-hmm. And when you have a pause, like we had now, that's why we start crying and we start really mourning. We're still mourning, you know, all of it. Sure. Because not only the death of our family, but it's like the collapse of like what's supposed to support us, mm-hmm. which is Puerto Rico and the U.S. Mm-hmm. And seeing how that didn't work and they didn't get their stuff together, even after Katrina, after Sandy, after all these other hurricanes where you think FEMA will get their plan together. When you see that collapsing, you're like, well, I don't have anybody to count on by myself. And then the individuality becomes the main drive. And, that, and the, we're still also building community because a, a lot of beautiful things have come from that, too. Like there's a community in Mariana. Um, which is in Umacao, where they're doing their own sustainable practice and their own, like, water. Um, there's also, a, like, a sco- schools that have been occupied and become homes and cultural centers. So there's a lot of, like, also beauty that has come out of it. So it's complex, but we are still trying to survive. We don't take a break, I feel like. If we were to stop, we'll just start crying. Like, I, think I would imagine, too, it's a little bit of, like, making up for lost time, too, with so much destruction that you feel like, not only do you want to rebuild, and then I'm sure there's a feeling of like rebuild better. Yeah. Like I'm just imagine it's an intense amount of pressure, yeah. uh, even just people to get their mm-hmm. homes yeah. back or finding a new home. Well, or, it's hard too because you know with climate change, these storms are becoming more and more frequent. And that's why New York was so devastated when we got hit with hurricanes because this city wasn't made for hurricanes. Mm-hmm. This was not a hurricane zone. Exactly. You know, and mm-hmm. we didn't have the infrastructure for it whatsoever. And now it could happen every year now. No, and in Puerto Rico, like water and electricity is so unstable. There could be like no water suddenly a day and it's become normal for us. It's like, oh, make sure you always get water extra. And there's still homes with blue tarps. There's still homes. There's wow. still people haven't been able to go back to their homes because there are now, because of climate change and the shifting of, of the ocean and even the waters and the rivers, like places that are, you can't live because they will get flooded. And we had to scares mm. of um, to passing of hurricanes that became and didn't really touch us directly, but you can feel 
the anxiety the of tension, like this yeah. can come again what do we do and then we go crazy and the supermarkets there's no more water to buy <laughs> and you know and also because we understand what happened before in a way right like this idea that who's going to take care of us so i have to take care of myself and mm. not take care of my family because nobody's going to do it so it becomes it brings a lot of anxiety and ptsd sure. each time but mm. since we're on the theme of healing uh-huh. in art would would you say that that your your work has been informed by these kind of travesties in your country? These completely these storms, especially when I decided to st- come back to Puerto Rico, which was not a plan to stay for a long time. But the reason I stayed is because living there, I can see the things, I can feel my body can really feel what's happening, and mm-hmm. and I can, which makes it difficult at times. I'm not, you know. I, when I get out, it's, and by getting out, I mean when I come to New York and do my things, it's sometimes I get a break because the colonial situation is really harsh, but that it is in my work. You know, I talk about it, particularly about the experience of being a woman of color in Puerto Rico and outside of Puerto Rico because I think I really recognize how my bodies look like when I left Puerto Rico. Um, not to say I don't get cat call in Puerto Rico or anything, but as a Puerto Rican and dancer, suddenly in New York I became really exotic. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, <laughs> <laughs> but because I, in Puerto Rico I'm just one another Puerto Rican woman that dances and has a big butt, but suddenly here it became <laughs> this like exoticizing thing. So now having that information from my body being in the states and coming back and now understanding the history of sexualizing our bodies from when Christopher Columbus first saw, you know, a Taino call it India because he thought he was going to India. Yeah. That's how, like, I feel that's just And a that history. term is still stuck. Exactly. <laughs> Sadly enough. Um, so it is my reality and my context of where I live, what informs my work. I always talk about Puerto Rico and make mm-hmm. it a point about people understanding the complexities that mm-hmm. it is to be Puerto Rican and being Mexican, born in, you know, born in Mexico, raised in Puerto Rico, which adds a whole different layer that I'm still now navigating it as an mm. adult because of also the context that we're living in and, and the difficulties that the government right now here in the States in making it to migrant, immigrant bodies, which it by default affects Puerto Rico too because we're having raids too and all of this stuff um, by ICE. So it's, yeah. It's Are raids happening by ICE mm-hmm. there too as well? Yeah. Right after he announced that they were going to start here, they're happening there. But we we don't get to see them in the news as much because the Dominican community mostly the most um, affected. Cause, mm. and, but I knew about it because I have social workers and friends and Dominican friends that will that called us. It's like, you know, right now there's happening a raid in Barrio Obrero. So all of these things have a trigger. It does happen to us. It's complex because of being a, colo- a colony, mm. we feel identified by the U.S., but we don't. Yeah, it's two different realities completely. Mm. As much as we want to think we are the same, but until you don't live in Puerto Rico and understand the chaos that we can live in, like it's like we were talking about time. Like things start late. You go to the doctor's lines and hours of getting anything you want to, any paperwork you want to do. It's a it's a whole different format because of. A colonial, but also a Caribbean flow. <laughs> I feel that we're just like, ah, <laughs> chill. <laughs> Not to justify, because people who are hearing me from Puerto Rico are like, no, no, no. I'm like, yeah, but sometimes we're so chill. It's like, can we get something done? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, for sure. I mean, I, I am of Puerto Rican Italian heritage. My family members really came to the state side, let's say. Uh-huh. My mom's mother uh, as a teenager, and then my my father when he was also probably in his late teens. Mm. And so much of my, you know, I was really raised kind of New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, living in New York. And it's it's kind of amazing, these experiences of, like, the New Yorkinos that is a totally different culture, the Puerto Ricans that are mainly live in New York, and those on the island. Um, so it's, it's always fascinating for me to hear because I, I do not pretend to understand what it really is like to live there. Mm-hmm. It truly is its own magical island place. I mean, yeah. a really a completely different culture. Yeah, absolutely. And then also having the struggle of dealing with, uh, I think, all of the things that have come with the colonialism, the way it's uh, taken Mm-hmm. Ta- given and taken from the culture. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. a simultaneous um, action that's happening constantly. So you're always in a, st- like, there's no stability ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel. And I think after the hurricane, it just, you know, it affected also my economy of how I create art now. You know, it's like, I, I create art with what I have, and that's enough for me. I think that's like, that's my way of decolonizing myself. I don't need to buy a lot of things to do La Mujer Maravilla. It's like I get gifts, and that's what becomes like the machete I use. My father gave it to me. The dress I use, an artist that you know was like, "Oh, this dress doesn't fit. Do you want?" And it's beautiful sequins blue dress. And I have a wig that I've been using for like I don't know how many years. It's falling apart, but it's still gonna be the one wig <laughs> I'm gonna use because there's still I didn't get a grant for this one. So you know, unless I get invited to a place and I get I call it like deluxe, La Mujer Maravilla deluxe, because suddenly I have two hundred dollars for materials. So, <laughs> um, and that's that affected my work is because our we don't have the same systems that we have here for supporting art, especially experimental, mm. um, queer and strange work that I sometimes do. Um, so I adjusted myself because I didn't want to leave Puerto Rico because I could mm-hmm. leave anywhere else. But it's like, I want to stay here and make art and I don't want money or funding to determine if I get or not get to do art. Mm. And that's my way of empowering myself, even within the colonial context, because I have to be there. Like it's, I can't go anywhere else right now. I feel like my, as a queer black woman, I just feel like I have to be in that space and keep doing work and teaching and supporting practices. And yeah. Do you find any differences? Just, just I don't know, just, just hit me off the top of my head. Do you, yeah. do you see any differences in the audiences like from Puerto Rico compared to New York? Completely. New York, the good thing about New York is that you pretty much can only know 10% of your audience, like know them personally or something. Mm-hmm. In Puerto Rico... 80% are probably <laughs> <laughs> your friends, cousins, lovers, exes, um, friends of your ex. So um, that became, <laughs> becomes difficult in regards because my work is very autobiographical and I use a lot of topics that are very vulnerable. <laughs> so for me to show it in New York, Ohio, even in New York, I know people, but it's still like I feel a little bit safer because people don't really know where I live or know my family. Uh-huh. But in Puerto Rico, <laughs> when I show this work, it's, it's really difficult sometimes because it's like I share so much and you also know where I live and who my cousin is and who's my mom and my father who works over there and you know it's like everybody's so close 
So it does affect a little bit. I'm trying not to let it affect myself. And the new piece that I'm working on is very about really showing is an outer ethnographic piece. And I'm really going to be showing myself in multiple ways. And I'm showing it in Puerto Rico like a a challenge for my own self. It's like I'm going to take that risk of just showing them, showing Puerto Rico what I'm all about with all that judgment that I know can come and all those things that are part of being like a big family because we are kind of like this huge (laughs) family Mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. So it does shift. Audiences are very different. Also the reactions of it, like in Puerto Rico... Yeah, it's just very different how people react to even jokes. Like, things that you think are not funny become funny, or things that are very serious here, people will like, oh, wow, you know, this usually, you know, this woman of color is telling me this story. We, I must take it seriously. Over there, I'm just like another woman just telling the story, and they think it's kind of mm. funny. So it does affect mm. a lot of, like, how people react towards your work. That's interesting. Yeah, I know, like, uh, just in Yak has, like, we've experienced, like, a shift in audiences just in New York, depending on where we're performing. Yeah. Like in a theater, everyone's going to sit there really quietly and clap politely at the end. <laughs> then you're like, you're in a nightlife scene. Everyone's like dancing and joining yeah. in. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah same thing here in Puerto Rico. It's happens like, too. When we're in theaters, it's like, you guys can get up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll sit there like very like straight faced. And then afterwards they'll be like, that was very funny. And it's like, you thought that was funny because you looked like you hated it, I, but they're but not necessarily. Like they're actually really internalizing it, thinking about what's funny about this. It's like just laugh. You yeah. Know? Well, I think it's also like the space determines like the yeah, codes yeah, yeah. of expression for the audience. I was listening to like classical music. This show they they do in, in radio, like public radio, and he was talking about this one song that. I forgot Beethoven was playing it, and you were not supposed to dance because like, in the theater nobody dances. And this song got people dancing. That's the whole thing. I don't remember the exact song, but it's like, yeah, there's these codes of like how do you supposed to be in a theater versus if you perform at a nightclub. Yeah. There's different. That's codes. probably when Beethoven was doing reggaeton. <laughs> His reggaeton. Somebody should reggaeton do some period. Beethoven reggaeton. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure. I'm sure. If you, I'm go, gonna if you go on YouTube, it. it's there. I'm, somebody's done it. This might be a little project for LBJJ. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, it's even going on what you were talking about there, uh, Poppy John, this, like, depending on where you are, what part of town you're in. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. you're uptown, whether you're downtown, whether you're at the... Ridgewood Bushwick Senior Center, you know, it's yeah. uh, it, it just in terms of different different spaces in New York, how different it can be d- depending on, uh, yeah. yeah, place. Yeah. And and a lot of times the class will play into, yeah, play into these things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why we have to be in different spaces. So mm. we, as, as performers, I believe, mm. because it just really informs your work. And I think that it allows you to understand your own language, you know? Like, how do you say something that could be funny or you think it's the most hilarious thing and then you have this audience that are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's okay. I think it's a good workshop. It's like, well, yeah, we were actually talking that. about that recently. Um, Larissa was taking part doing workshops at Earth Dance mm-hmm. and I was talking about the possibility of doing a Yak Has workshop at some point. She's like, what would we even do? And I was thinking, well, Yak has this so much about the audience participation and our reaction to the audience mm. and how we. 
sometimes even a hostile or a seemingly bored audience, how we will completely shift how we're acting to try to motivate them to be different. Wow. Or to even just go with it a little bit. And I don't know. I think it's a very interesting idea to, to try to... I need this workshop just for myself. <laughs> I need to teach it. I need to teach it so I can learn from it. Well, yeah, that's why some, we are, we're teachers a lot of the time. I think that's the best attitude to teach a workshop is to understand that it's a learning process for everybody in yeah. the room. Mm. But I think it's mm. great to think about... I, well, listening to you, I just thought, it's like, wow, that's the superpower of the Jaquess. It's like this way of like getting in a room and being able to transform the people in it even if there's resistance or not. And what that resistance can be transformed and it becomes an opportunity versus like, oh, let me just finish a show because these people are not reacting. It's like, no, this is an opportunity to switch my act. Like, mm-hmm. how do I get them activated? And it will be a great workshop. I think we need to do that for protest and we need to learn how to do that for <laughs> classrooms and we need to do it in different public spaces that mm. the energy is so weird. That's like, let me just see how it can activate, you know, this space. Yeah, while sometimes we're waiting. it's funny when, it, when we can't even activate it on us <laughs> at all. Then it just becomes like, thank you guys so much. You guys are wonderful. You're <laughs> such a wonderful audience. We just love you so much. No, please, please stay seated. And we're all just sitting there not clapping or anything. <laughs> It actually becomes part of the joke. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> well, I just want to say, Will, that I feel like there's. it's so interesting to hear and not to understand even more how much you're receiving from truly the different places that you reside mm-hmm. and where you do your work and... and, and who you're sort of making your work in collaboration with, like let's say the audience and the community around it. Uh, it's super exciting. Thank you. And I would say, I think my last question would be, how is your relationship to with this travel, you know, a lot of this travel and activity? I find it hard to be an artist just staying in one spot trying to do what I'm doing right here. Yeah. But you have this added extra movement and... Um, yeah, and I know that a healing practice is really important for you. And we've touched on the ways that, that you that's already embedded. How are the ways that you look at taking your care of yourself through all of this wonderful work you're doing? Um, well, making sure I get a bed. I used to not care if I had slept in a bed. Like <laughs> I can sleep in a sofa on the floor anywhere. I'll be so grateful for the opportunity. I was like, I'll sleep anywhere. Now I have to sleep in a bed. Um, <laughs> so that's the first thing. What a diva. <laughs> so demanding. Yeah, well, if I want to dance, I have to. Um, but also, like, how to understand the time. Like, I'm a morning person, so mm. I usually, that's why I like to do my practice on whatever it is for grounding myself, being yoga or being, mm. you know, any kind of therapeutic work that I'm doing to heal my body or having a good breakfast with my own, like, fruits and you know, oatmeal or things like that morning time is really sacred. Not to say not all the time you get that, but I try to communicate that when I get invited or if I try to get a schedule done. Um, Also walking, there's, you know, walking for me is very important, resting, um, access to water, access to good food in whatever shape or form that could be Mm. because it depends on, on the places you go to, but 
I've been a vegetarian all my life. Um, so I've always learned to have to ask for that, even when it feels strange. Because my parents really taught me well about, like, it's okay to be a vegetarian in Puerto Rico in the 80s, which was really strange. Um, so, you know, talking about what my diet is and what does that mean. And, and I think in staying connected with my community. I always try to call family, friends, um, people that keep me grounded. Because sometimes it gets lonely at times, and sometimes we have self-doubt in those spaces when you, depending on what kind of, like, opportunity you get. Like, we have our own anxieties or our post-performance part of, you know, that whole thing that sometimes it's like, mm-hmm. what do I do when you, you're in a new place and you're nice, I have your comrades, your community of like, you can cry and say, I totally sucked. You know, even <laughs> if you know you didn't suck, but you just have this feeling of like wanting. Um, and I've noticed those are things that I need to have um, kind of close or aware of that space of, of holding that space for me, even if it's not the physical space for even the phone call or the text message or things like that. Um but yeah, and I think also, and this is something I noticed in an invitation I got to Dominican Republic, I need to be having freedom of movement. Mm. I can't be like in a place that I can leave for whatever reason that may be. Like I should be able to walk somewhere, even if it's just either to a river, a park, mm. or a close by supermarket. Like there's something about me being able to walk and feel that I can be my own person and not depend on someone mm. is I think is Im- important for my well-being. Um, yeah, and I'm, t- I'm learning as time goes by, like not flying the same day and then the same day having something to do, you know, like I take that day off or I take that day to settle down into the space, unpack. And those, are, you know, and I, th- I know as I'm getting older, those are going to keep shifting and transforming and also finding my voice and my bravery to ask for those things and that's I think the hardest part that took me a while Mm. to feel comfortable asking for what would be good for me in order for me to provide whatever it is that I'm expecting for me being an artist talk being a workshop being a performance like what is it that I really need and understanding that not feeling embarrassed or feel that I'm not worth it that kind of language of being like oh can you make sure that you know, the, the place I'm staying that, you know, has certain things like I'm allergic to cats. So that took me a while to understand, to say, because then I was staying and then I couldn't breathe the whole night. And being able to say that and still being grateful because that's, you know, it's not just saying, hey, you know, I don't need this. I like nuts. It's like, thank you for the invitation, but these are the things that I need in order to. But I'm it's pretty easy going. It's like <laughs> I'm difficult, but. I, I find that for me was it's a practice not only for for people getting invited to go to places, but I think it's a practice of even knowing what your needs are in your own home mm-hmm. and understanding what those things are important. Um, and I think that's a lot of growth and it's a lot of self-awareness, um, which is important. I'm just hoping our cat is not laying on your bag right now in the living room. No, no, no. <laughs> it's okay. If I spend the night, is. I'll just be like having a hard time. But, um, and yeah, and those sort of things are important, I think. Mm. I think. I think you touched upon something there that deals with the theme. I think um, part of healing and making your way through this world just is the bravery of expressing what we need. Yeah. Mm. Not Thank just, you for Not that. just traveling, but... Yeah, you have yeah. to be really brave. 
to say no to things and say yes to things and, and brave and, to ask. And yeah. in a way, before you can even express it, it's like you have to know. You have to care about yourself enough to know and locate it, and then ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, here, here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, oh, forty-two looks good. <laughs> the three of us. Yeah, oh. three forty-two-year-olds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do an Instagram video of dancing. <laughs> We're doing it right now, listeners. Picture. Ooh. There's, not, it's not, there's no Instagram. Uh, no. But we <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Lota, so much. Thank this you. has been a beautiful conversation. And we could probably even go on another hour, but. Yeah. We're not going to keep you up all night. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you for the space and for carrying this on and doing it with so much love. I can feel the love in this home and both of you. You're always so caring to me and to co- hold the space for so many other people. So, And for Mia and everybody else. <laughs> so thank you for being amazing. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Gracias. Okay, 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 everyone be calm. To learn more about Awilda Rodriguez Laura, please check out laperformera.org or go to Instagram at laperformera. You can learn about her, her project, La Mujer Maravilla, there. Or you can go to the Instagram hashtag Bailar Todos Los Dias 2019, which chronicles her daily dancing going back to we believe 2015 you can see them all there and if you would like to donate to the people of Puerto Rico who are still recovering from the hurricanes uh, you could always give to the Red Cross here in America, or if you'd like to go directly to the source, I would have recommended a couple places for us, which we'll include the links for these in the um, episode description. But it's mariafund.org and pazparalamujer.org. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. We'll be having some new episodes coming up. We're thinking a holiday show, perhaps with a family theme, and hopefully a New Year's Eve or a New Year's Day special where we'll be debuting some new Yakez material that we've been working on, we're quite proud of. But that's it for now, and we advise you to tune in again next time.